You filled your belly. I couldn't eat another thing. I'm absolutely stuffed. Now fill your brain with lightning knowledge. What can I do to speed the whole thing up, doctor? This is Lightning Lunch, a full hour of lightning talk with lightninginsider.com's Eric Erlinson. Did you see the memo about this? On Lightning Power Play. Good afternoon. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Welcome to this Friday, February the 14th edition of Lightning Lunch here on Lightning Power Play. I am Eric Rollinson from lightninginsider.com, your host. Also host the opening face-off you can hear for most home games. But just as a reminder, if you weren't listening yesterday, we do not have an opening face-off show tomorrow. There are certain logistics involved because of the Andrea Bocelli concert here at Amelie Arena tonight and the team out in Brandon practicing uh, as we speak. And we're going to jump right into the breaking news that as the team begins practice that Nikita Kucherov, Anthony Sorelli, and Steven Stamkos are all on the ice to scheduled to take part in practice. If they leave the ice, if something happens, we'll monitor that for you and, and pass along the information to you. But really, really good news that all three of those players who missed last night's game against the Edmonton Oilers, Stamkos has missed three straight games. Of course, Kucherov and Sorelli were injured in Tuesday's game at Pittsburgh, but all three players are on the ice out in Brandon as we speak. So that's exceptional news kind of got an indication that there was positive news coming when the team did reassign Alex Volkov back to Syracuse this morning. Um, Volkov did play in last night's game. And, uh, you know, we were on the air yesterday at noon, obviously, and weren't sure of what the lineup situation was going to look like in terms of who was going to play where, who was going to play with whom, uh, and all that. But uh, Volkov was out on the ice and did play in last night's game. Ended up logging 10, just under 11 minutes of ice time. Uh, one shot on goal, two shot attempts, two hits, and three takeaways. So a decent night for Volkov, although he was on the ice for the one goal against that the Oilers did score. Uh, so we have a lot to sort of digest here today as we look ahead to tomorrow's 4 p.m. game against the Philadelphia Flyers. Please make sure you take note of that. That is a 4 p.m. start against the Flyers. And uh, as Connor pointed out to me, the last time these two teams met, the Lightning were riding a nine-game winning streak and went into Philadelphia and won that game one to nothing on a Pat Maroon goal and an Andre Vasilevsky shutout. Lo and behold... Here come the Flyers again. Lightning are riding a nine-game winning streak. Not a fan of that. It, it, it's, it is a curiosity. It, it, you know, Philadelphia is sort of in playoff mode now, considering where they are at in the standings. So that should make a very interesting matchup for tomorrow, especially if the Lightning are going to get some of these uh, these top players back uh, with Kucherov, Sorelli, and Stamkos. That would be a big boost to the team for tomorrow. Uh, Want to go over, first of all, the game last night and how it played out. 
Uh, another stellar defensive job by Tampa Bay. Seven consecutive games now. The Lightning have allowed two or fewer goals in a game. Kind of mentioned on Wednesday's show with Corey Long when we had him on. That's part, you know, we don't know when a team's identity is necessarily going to emerge. Sometimes it's early in the season. Sometimes it's the middle of the season. Obviously, we're a little past the midway point here with Tampa Bay. But we had talked with Corey about defense and shutdowns type of style that this team is starting to play. Is that emerging as their identity? And it certainly feels that way when you have this sort of a consistent run in one or two categories. And I think we see that now, as I mentioned, seven consecutive games, two or fewer goals. And how about this stat? The last time the Lightning allowed more than three goals in a game, back on New Year's Eve in Buffalo. Just kind of absorb that. It's been, what, six, seven weeks? Granted, you have the bye week in there. But six, seven weeks since they've allowed more than three goals in a game. So everything that the coaching staff has been preaching, discussing, talking about wanting to get this team to play, Early in the season, you heard John Cooper and the players use the term process. This is the process they were building towards. Growing pains there were for sure. But then, you know, you start to make it a habit, right? Can you start to play that way consistently? And how many times have you heard John Cooper say it? And he said it again last night when I asked him this question about the seven consecutive games of two or fewer goals allowed. And he's used this term a lot. You give up two or less, you have a good chance to win the game. You give up three, it's a 50-50 opportunity. You give up four or more, now you have a now you're up uphill against it, right? So again, seven consecutive so it's no coincidence that they're winning games. Because if you're only giving up one or two goals a game with this team in particular, you've got a really, really good chance to win. And that's another reason why we haven't talked about the power play being where it's at because the numbers aren't pretty I'd like to tell you they had an opportunity to build on that last night but they didn't get a power play opportunity and right now somebody's saying but what about Zach Cassian we'll get to that because there is some news on that front we'll certainly go over it but this identity that this team is really starting to build, uh, trending in the direction that the coaching staff has been looking for. So that's how you can get into a game like Tuesday against Pittsburgh where you end up missing two forwards for the, the third period. You're, you're down to 11 forwards for the final two periods, you know, after – Sorelli went out, and then Kucherov went out at the end of the second because you you have this defensive mode that you can kind of lean on to give yourself a chance to win games, and that's what they've been doing. Andre Vasilevsky's been unbelievable, 18-0-2 in his last 20 starts, just the sixth goaltender in league history. To have a streak of 20-plus games earning at least a point for your team, 
And how about this one? This one kind of came out of nowhere last night. John Cooper is the first coach in NHL history to lead one franchise to four or more winning streaks of at least nine games. Obviously two this year. They had one last year. They had one in the 16-17 season when they actually missed the playoffs. So that's four winning streaks of nine or more games John Cooper has led this team on. He's the only coach in NHL history to do it, to have that many winning streaks with one team. And there are only three other coaches in NHL history to have had winnings, nine game or more winning streaks four or more times. And those names are Scotty Bowman, Bruce Boudreaux, and Joel Quenville. So NHL history made last night. Never uh, again. That that stat kind of snuck up out of nowhere from NHL PR when that came out this morning. So so many things going in a in a positive and the right direction for this team as we start to tick off the number of games. In the middle of February now, you've got about six to seven weeks left in the regular season. The games are going to come fast. This tends to be what happens. So you have to like what you see out of this team. Yanni Gord again comes through. Shorthanded goal. Ends up being the game winner. Second period. Scores at about four minutes after Edmonton tied the game. You know, we wondered about this. Once he got that first goal, were they going to start coming for him? Well, it's two games in a row now he's got a goal. And how about this number? That was Yanni Gord's eighth goal of the season last night. I know. Only eight. 20-goal score. I, I'm with you. But five of those are game winners. There's five game-winning goals this year of just the eight that he's used or that he scored. He scored three game winners against Buffalo, including both in Sweden. He had a game winner, which was his previous goal, back on November the 25th against Buffalo. And then a goal on Tuesday against Pittsburgh in, the o in overtime, and then last night ends up being the game winner. So his last three goals scored have all been game winners. Good to see him get rewarded. Again, you saw the the way his teammates rallied around him after he scored the game winner in Pittsburgh the other night. Um, talked to both uh, Eric Chernak and Pat Maroon last night after the game and asked him, both of them, about you know seeing Yanni get rewarded and you just kind of see the smile on their face because Yanni Gord has a very infectious uh, personality. And they knew that it was weighing on him and they're happy for him and that's – that's that team environment. And speaking of team environment, Braden Point passes up an opportunity to score an empty net goal to give it to Cedric Paquette. Cedric Paquette hadn't scored in a while. 
Paquette. That was just his sixth goal, fifth goal of the season last night. And his last goal prior to that, you've got to go all the way back to December the 17th for Paquette's last goal. That was against Ottawa here. So an unselfish play from point to give it to Paquette. You know, you know, the players know. They know how long it's been for their teammates who haven't scored goals. They're very aware of that. That kind of stuff, to me, builds team character. Kind of helps create that family-type environment that you hear the players talk about a lot especially in this situation where so many of these players have been together for so long. I loved it. I, think I heard Phil on the broadcast last night. He said, ah, if you have a chance to score a goal, just put it in the net. Nothing, anything can go wrong. And he's right. Just ask, ask Patrick Stepan. By all means, go look that one up. Just put in Patrick Stepan and empty net goal or lack thereof. And you can see what can go wrong, and it can. And But I liked it last night. Of course, it also meant that Braden Point extended his assist streak to nine games. But I thought that was a good moment for this team in that situation. That It resonates. It really resonates on the bench, in the locker room, with the players, all of that. You know, this wasn't a overpassing situation. It was just point and Paquette down low together. You know, they're five feet apart from each other. There's not really an Edmonton player coming. You know, there's no danger of really missing that net that comes with 55 seconds left on the clock. So a lot of really good things that happened last night, considering you didn't have a Steven Stamkos, you didn't have a Nikita Kucherov, we were missing Anthony Sorelli. We already know that Ryan McDonough and Jan Ruda are out. Again, good news that all three of the forwards, Sorelli, Stamkos, and Kucherov, are all out on the ice for practice today. I did catch Ryan McDonough last night, and last time I saw McDonough, he was in the knee scooter with a brace, walking boot, whatever, on his, his leg. Did not see that last night. He was standing under his own power. It's a positive sign that <clears throat> he can put some weight on that leg, whatever was bothering him. Obviously missed the past four games after blocking an Evgeny Malkin shot last week against Pittsburgh. So some, some things trending in the right direction with the injuries and your line combinations for practice today give you a very strong indication that all three players, all three forwards, will be back tomorrow. You had Stamkos, Point, Kucherov, Andre Pilat, Anthony Sorelli, Alex Kalorn, Matthew Joseph, Cedric Paquette, Pat Maroon, and then you have the Verhage-Stevens-Gordon line. And then defense remains the same. Hedman, Chernak, Sergachev, Shattenkirk. Coburn and Shen. Of 
course, that also means that Tyler Johnson is not out there. And I saw at one point somebody pointed out to me that Tyler Johnson was kind of in pain a little bit over uh, on the bench. So uh, you'll take that's a three for one trade. <laughs> we'll see what John Cooper has to say about it. I don't know if we'll get an update on that situation before we go off the air. If we do, we'll pass it along. Uh, but it does at least look like Steven Stamkos, Nikita Kucherov, and Anthony Sorelli will um, be back and ready for tomorrow afternoon's game against the Philadelphia Flyers. By the way, if you're coming to the game, if you listen to Greg Linnelli and Brian Engblom with the Last Call postgame show, it's taking place outside tomorrow. The brand new Cigar City Tap Room out on the plaza is where Steve, sorry Steve, Greg and Brian will be hosting the Last Call postgame show. It's presented to you by Jack Daniels. So go say hi to Greg and Brian. Ask them a question. Get involved in the conversation just like we ask you to do when me and Greg have the Last Call after road games. Um... So Greg and Brian will be out at the <coughs> Cigar City Tap Room tomorrow after the game for the post-game show. So stop by and say hi to them. Tell them Eric sent you. Is that how it works? No? Sorry, I can't give you a deal. I can't say I can't tell you, hey, Eric sent me. That doesn't mean you get a free beer. So I wish I could do that. I do not have that kind of pull. <laughs> I don't even have that kind of pull in my own household. So can't help you out on that front. All right, let's take a quick break. We want to get to the uh, Zach Cassian situation. Um, a potential defenseman that could be on Tampa Bay's radar put on waivers today. We'll talk about that. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, send them my way. Use the hashtag AskEE on Twitter. You can email me, eric at lightinginsider.com as well. I'll take questions that way. Chris and Rich tend to send in their comments via that medium, if you will. So if you have them, send them, send them my way. We'll get to them uh, as well. But again, we're going to talk about the Zach Cassian situation as well as a potential defenseman placed on waivers today that might be on Tampa Bay's radar. We'll discuss that when we come back right after this. More lightning talk for you. Unbelievable. Get a heaping helping of hockey with Lightning Lunch. It's your window to wait game. On Lightning Power Play. All right, welcome back to Lightning Lunch here on Lightning Power Play. Eric Rowlandson, lightninginsider.com. Wishing you all a very happy Valentine's Day. Hopefully you have some plans with your significant other. Or if you don't have a significant other. I, I don't know what to tell you. I... I've been married for 25 years. I don't know anything different. Um, <clears throat> all right, before we get to the two topics I was going to mention, um, Edmonton last night, obviously they were they were missing Connor McDavid, and that's a huge, huge loss. Um, Leon Dreisaitl, who leads the league in scoring, reached the 90-point plateau last night. I think Nathan McKinnon is tied with him. No, he, he had 80. Dreisaitl had 90 points last night with a secondary assist on a play that I th 
think he touched the puck about 100 feet up the ice. Um, but for the game, for the game, Drysdale had one shot on goal, and that was his only shot attempt. Now his line had some had some decent looks, but he was matched up as we figured it was going to be the case against the line with Braden Point on Andre Palat uh, in particular. Uh, Yanni Gord was on that line last night. <clears throat> 14 minutes, essentially, of matched-up ice time for the Braden Point line against Dreisaitl. Head-to-head point shot attempts were 17-7. to with Palat 17 to 8 and with Gord 18 to 5. So you can see the advantage that the Lightning had with their top line. We knew with Sorelli out that Point was going to see a ton of Leon Dreisidel, and he did last night. And that line held Dreisidel's line to basically just seven shot attempts for the game. And Dreisidel only had one. And that was including, you know, his one shot on goal included power play. Right, Edmonton had two power plays in the game as well, and that is the number one power play unit in the league, which is still dangerous even without um, Connor McDavid. And, of course, Yanni Gord, Lightning outscored. Even though the Lightning did not have a power play opportunity in the game, they still outscored Edmonton in the special teams battle because Yanni Gord's goal was shorthanded. And that goal... It was really it was really cool to watch that develop, especially when you go back and watch it on replay, because Edmonton employed that drop pass back to the trailer with speed who comes up the ice. Watch that play again and see the brilliant job that the Lightning and in particular Cedric Paquette do of forcing Dreisidel to his left, to Paquette's right. Basically, Tampa Bay has the line stacked, and this is this is a way to defeat a power play or to help neutralize a power play that has this trailer as the puck carrier come up the ice with speed. If you stack the blue line, and the Lightning did this, the two defensemen, you had Gord, you had Paquette. Those are your four penalty killers in this situation. As Dreisaitl comes up the ice, he's just off center to his left. And Paquette sort of tra trails him or shadows him from in front. And as he does, you can see him squeeze Dreisaitl off to his left. All of a sudden, he's run out of options on what to do with the puck because he's the last guy. He's the trailer, so he's got nobody to send the puck back to. He's coming with such speed, he can't really turn back. He can't really dump the puck in. Because he's got nobody coming with, uh, you know, behind him on a four-checking situation. They're all kind of at the red line in without much speed. So Dreisaitl decides to try and find Ryan Nugent Hopkins right along the wall with a pass. The only problem is, is Johnny Gord is there and he reads that as well. So just before Dreisaitl hits the offensive blue line, a little poke check... Stick check from Cedric Paquette as he tries to make the pass. Yanni Gord is right there, 
picks it off, goes for a breakaway. I mean, that's textbook on how to prevent a zone entry while down a man, and then at the same time you create a scoring chance for yourself. And it's really, really good job between Paquette and Gord in that particular situation as they really squeezed off Dreisaitl, who once again finished as a minus player. It's, it's amazing to me. He has 90 points. He leads the league. I think McDavid is second in the league with 81, uh, 81 points. And that leaves Dreisaitl on the year as a minus 12. For an Edmonton team that scores a lot of goal goals, that's a minus 12. And they got plus players on their team. And Kyler Yamamoto, and he's only played in now 16 games. He's a plus 12. You know, and Edmonton's had some success. They came in the last night's game. I think they were 10-3-2 in their past 15 games as they try and get into the postseason. in a very, very weak Pacific division. I'll say it again. It's a shame. It's a shame that three teams out of that division have to make the playoffs. They have to. You could have a situation where the fifth-place team in the Metro might end up with more points than the first-place team in the Pacific. The first-place team in the Pacific. That sounds ludicrous to me, doesn't it? That just sounds ridiculous that you could have that potential, and yet, here we are. The Pacific is so bad. Didn't used to be that way. Certainly the Sharks, the Ducks, and the Kings have fallen on some hard times as they each go through a transition um, to build. And just to show you right now, the first place team in the Pacific is Vancouver. They have 69 points. The number two wild card team, which is the fourth place team, actually that's the fifth place team in the Metro, has 71 points. The sixth place team in the Metro are the Carolina Hurricanes. They have 67 points. So they have two fewer points than the first place team in the Pacific. It's ridiculous. And if that happens, and it's it's a real possibility that that, that could happen, you're going to hear an outcry for a change in the playoff format. It's not going to do anything, but you're going to hear that. You're going to hear, well, how can this happen? How can a team not make the playoffs despite having more points than a division winner? And that's just a division winner. Two other teams in that division have to make the playoffs because of the format that's set up. Edmonton's at 66 points. Vegas is at 66 points, and they had to rally last night against St. Louis to get that overtime win. 
Calgary's at 66, and Arizona's at 64. Those are your five teams in the Pacific, which shocking even more is that you could have five teams out of the Pacific make the playoffs. All, all with fewer points than a potential team that might not make the playoffs in the East. It's ludicrous to even think that that's possible, but yet here we are. All right, uh, let's get to the Zach Cassian situation. By now, I'm sure all of you know the kicking incident that took place in the first period last night with Eric Chernak. There were three players down on the ice, all kind of tangled up right inside the Tampa Bay offensive blue line with Chernak, Josh Archibald, and Cassian all kind of piled up on top of each other. And as Cassian was trying to get up, he thrust his right leg into the chest of Eric Chernak with a kicking motion. I'm sure some of you have seen the replay. There was plenty of that going around last night. Now I will say this about it. I don't think it was done with malicious intent. I don't think that... To me, it looked like Zach Cassian, as he tends to do, lost his mind for a minute and said he was just trying to get his foot free. And then by the time he realized what he was doing, he tried to stop, but he couldn't quite get there. Now, I don't think that means anything in the grand scheme of things. I mean, you just you just don't do that. I, you know, realize just just how dangerous of a play that is. Right? It's just dangerous. Those are blades. Those are sharp blades. Good thing there's padding there, so it didn't get through the padding. But it's a dangerous, dangerous play. And then what was maybe even worse about this is that apparently Cassian was just surprised that he was even being asked these questions after the game. His answers, and this is from Mark Spector, who we had on the show yesterday from his Twitter feed from last night. He was holding my leg. It was reactionary. I was just trying to get him off me, kick him off me. There's the word right there that's going to get him in trouble. Kick him off me. I was just trying to get my foot loose. Questions kept coming. If I kicked him hard, I think he would have flew back or the ref would have called a penalty. Next quote. I was trying to get off and pull my leg off. He was holding me and Archie, Archibald, down. I didn't even know where the puck was. I was trying to pull my leg up and get up. It felt like we were there a lifetime. We were down there for a while. So, obviously Zach Cassian doesn't think he did anything wrong. I, I, I just, I, I don't know. And then, you know, we talked to Chernak, and I asked him the question last night. Um, about it, and he said he tried to ask Cassian, what, what's up with that? That's not the right thing to do. How can you do something like that? And Cassian just didn't respond to him. 
didn't even address it. Now, the latest update on that is Cassian was offered an in-person hearing by NHL player safety. Word on that came down this morning. He has waived that right to an in-person hearing, so it'll take place over the phone. Now, the difference between the two, if you were not offered an in-game suspension or an in-game hearing, in-person hearing, I'll get it right. That's what happens when you're on about four and a half hours of sleep. If you're offered an in-person hearing, that means the league is within its rights to suspend you for more than five games. If it's not, if it's just a regular hearing, it's not usually going to be more than five games. But the fact that the league, player safety, has issued this as a potential in-person hearing, there's a chance that they're going to rule this and it's going to be more than five games. There is precedent, as we saw kind of flying around last night, Jeff Skinner, had somewhat of a similar situation a number of years ago and received a two-game suspension. But that's Jeff Skinner. Much, much different than Zach Cassian, who is just coming off a suspension. In fact, Paul Kennedy passed by him last night when they wrapped up the post-game show on Fox Sports Sun. Mentioned that it was one month to the day Yesterday, that Cassian received a two-game suspension for his actions against Calgary's Matthew Kachuk. That aggressor situation, which, you know, we talked at length about this when it happened. The Battle of Alberta situation, where he was sick of Matt Kachuk hitting him. So he went, I don't even know what the word is frenzied on Kachuk by kind of ragdolling him around and trying to get him to fight, and Kachuk didn't want to engage in a fight. Led to the suspension, and then you heard the comments from Cassian. Okay, now I know what a clean hit is. All right, now I know. Now I know what the line is. I'm not sure Zach Cassian knows what the line is because he crossed it again last night. Uh, so the fact this does not look good for Cassian's case, who has a history and a recent history on that, of, you know, supplemental discipline and issues with the league player safety department. And the fact that he was just sort of flippant about it last night after the game when, when asked about it. I I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the league is going to do, but I, they do not look upon these types of plays lightly. They do not tread on these ones lightly at all. So... That hearing will take place, I believe I saw 4 o'clock this afternoon. I would expect, because the Oilers do play down in sunrise tomorrow against the Panthers, that a ruling will come down later tonight. My guess is it'll be in the 5 to 7 range. Probably should be longer. I've seen some people say ban them for the rest of the year. That's not going to happen. But he is going to get a lengthy suspension because you just don't you just don't kick. You just don't do that. It's uh, woo, that was bad. 
All right, uh, the defenseman that I teased you with coming into the last break. The Buffalo Sabres have placed Eric Bogosian on waivers today, and Bogosian has asked for a trade. Can't find a trade partner the Sabres can. Again, the trade deadline is now 10 days away, February the 24th. So they have placed Bogosian on waivers, and I know that his name has been somebody that a few people have brought up to me. He's a right-handed shot. He's a big body. He's got plenty of experience in this league. He is 29 years old, six foot three, 225 pounds. So there's some size to him. He's in the last year of a contract. Carries a cap hit of $5.142 million. He's making $6 million this year. I don't know if anybody's going to put a claim in for him, but I wonder, you know, you look for ways to maybe improve your team without giving up assets. You think about who, who's the one guy who sent me a message on Twitter when the Leafs made the trade for Jack Campbell and Kyle Clifford. The Leafs can make a trade like that. Why can't the Lightning? Well, they did make a trade for that in the summer when they signed Curtis McElhaney and Pat Maroon and Kevin Shattenkirk and didn't give up assets. If you can find a way to improve your team without giving up assets, that's ideal, right? So in this hunt for a right-handed shot defenseman, now, if you read Mike Harrington from the Buffalo News, and he's been a guest on this show, he's been a guest with Greg Linnelli many times as well, Bogosian hasn't played well this year at all. Maybe his head's just not in it. Maybe he just needs a different perspective or different outlook. Maybe that'll help, you know, fresh start sometimes for players like this. Coming to a team going from Buffalo to Tampa Bay, that's that's a wild jump in the standings. So I don't wonder if this is something that the Lightning might look to. It would hamper some of your opportunities to make other deals with the contract in terms of what's left on it in terms of dollars this year. You know, but 10 days before the trade deadline, you know, it, it kind of gives you an opportunity to maybe bring him in. Maybe he solves some of your issues with depth. I don't know. But the fact that he's a right-handed shot and he's a big body is very intriguing. He hasn't played a lot this year. He's been a healthy scratch a ton of times. Uh, and, in fact, he's only appeared in 19 games this year. One goal, five points, 65 games last year. Three goals, 19 points, a minus five. He has been injured a lot since since being traded from Winnipeg to Buffalo. I believe he was included in the Tyler Myers deal. So he's been injured quite a bit, especially the last couple years. He entered training camp this year injured, uh, but did ask for a trade because he wasn't getting into the lineup. And, you know, you read Mike Harrington and some of the comments he's made about Bogosian's on-ice performance this year, uh, not the best. 
Um, but I don't wonder. Just makes me wonder. Now, the Lightning would have one of the last priorities because of their record in the standings. Only Washington and Boston would have less of a chance to put in a waiver claim for a player because it does go in reverse order. I don't know if there's any other teams out there. Maybe the Leafs. The Leafs have talked about needing a right-handed shot defenseman. Uh, I curious, curious to watch this happen. Um, find out by noon tomorrow if anybody puts in a claim for Bogosian. If the Lightning put in a claim for Bogosian, I don't know if he is going to be claimed. I don't know if he makes it all the way to Tampa Bay, but it's something to keep an eye on. All right, let's take uh, another break here. Again, if you have questions, comments, send them my way. Everybody must be watching practice out in Brandon because I got no. No questions or comments coming in. It's a far cry from yesterday when we had tons of them. But if you have any, get them my way. Uh, use the hashtag AskEE on Twitter or email me, eric at lightninginsider.com, and uh, we'll get to those uh, hopefully when we come back right after this. Enough lightning talk? Log on to lightninginsider.com for more puck pontification. Oh, if, 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 uh, if, if, uh, if, yeah, if, if we, oh, if, if, oh, look, it's quite simple. More lightning lunch with Eric Erlinson on Lightning Power Play. All right, welcome back to Lightning Lunch here on Lightning Power Play. Eric Erlinson from lightninginsider.com, your host. We're here every Monday through Friday from 12 to 1. That's right on through the end of the regular season, and then into the playoffs. And, yes, we're starting to talk about what we might want to do for the postseason. I don't know if we're going to expand programming. I don't know if we're going to, um, you know, stick with the same plan. We'll see what's going on. What's that, Connor? No, we're not going to be canceled. That's I can promise that. Um, again, if, if you're at the game tomorrow, it's a 4 p.m. start against the Philadelphia Flyers. So make sure you take note of that. I hate for you to miss fa uh, opening face-off. Um, and then if you're at the game, stick around after. Go catch uh, Greg Linnelli and Brian Engblom with the last call over at the new Cigar City Tap Room, which is out on the plaza, built inside the uh, or into the parking garage over there. So it's a brand-new uh, facility. Just opened up uh, less than a month ago. And they're going to do the post-game show live from the Cigar City Tap Room tomorrow. So check that out. Make sure you tell Brian, and especially Greg, that Eric sent you and to uh, do your best to bug him while he's on the air. You ever seen the people in the background of the cameras trying to distract? That's what you should do to Greg. Tell him Connor sent you. <laughs> uh, some other league news that took place today. Uh, Minnesota has uh, relieved Bruce Boudreau of his duties as head coach of the Minnesota Wild. Um, he was on his third GM in Minnesota, and of course the Wild have had a typical Wild season where they're just good enough to potentially make the playoffs but not bad enough to drop to the bottom of the standings, sort of middling themselves around. But the timing is interesting on this 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 move. The Wilders 7-3-1 in their last 11 games. Back into the playoff conversation in the West, and we just mentioned how 
how close the Western Conference is because it's certainly not as deep as the East when it comes to it. But the Wild, 61 points, just three points out of the playoff spot, three games in hand on Arizona, two games in hand on Calgary. So they have games in hand on uh, the teams in front of them with the exception of the Nashville Predators, who they're currently tied with, with 61 points. So the timing is just curious. Now, Dean Evason is taking over on an interim basis. But you also don't wonder if this means the Wild have somebody in mind. I mean, this is now the eighth head coach this year to lose their job. Two of them were for different circumstances other than just maybe performance-related with Bill Peters, most notably on that list. And, of course, the Jim Montgomery situation in Dallas. So eighth coach this year to be fired. And, you know, you wonder. I mean, Gerard Gallant's been out there. He was let go by Vegas about a month ago. So, again, the timing is curious. February 14th, 10 days before the trade deadline. Of course, the Wild just made that big deal with the Penguins, sending Jason Zucker to Pittsburgh for Galchenyuk, a first-round draft pick, and a defensive prospect. The fact that there wasn't a head coach named right away, though, I don't know what that means. Don't cover the Wild, of course. But it, the timing is very, very interesting for Bill Guerin to and remember Bill Guerin took over the job late. Paul Fenton was uh, fired sort of late into the summer, if you will. By the way, good news. Kucherov, Stamkos, and Sorelli all took their regular line rushes, also took their regular spots on the power play. So there's there's your big indication that all three look to be ready to go for tomorrow's game uh, against the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, so encouraging news on the injury front. Of course, Tyler Johnson was not out on the ice today, so hopefully we'll have a word on that. Matthew Joseph is still here and um, took line rushes during drills this, this afternoon out in Brandon, which is now, by the way, the TGH Iceplex. No longer the Ice Sports Forum. It's TGH Iceplex. That was rebranded last week. So if you ever hear reference to TGH Iceplex, that is now that is the old Brandon Ice Sports Forum. I'll still just refer to it as out in Brandon. Practice rink, which it still is. So good news on that front with the potential of those three players returning for tomorrow as Tampa Bay will look to extend their winning streak to 10 games. And, Connor, you asked this question when you came in here, and it's interesting. I haven't seen any yet. I haven't seen any note from anybody. I'm not sure any team has had two 10-game winning streaks within the same season. I mean, we just had that stat where there's only been four coaches who have led their team on four or more nine-plus game winning streaks. I would venture to say that, that maybe it's not happened before. Maybe it has not happened where a team has had 
within one season two 10-game winning streaks within the same year. I mean, Scotty Bowman's only had six nine-game or more winning streaks. Boudreaux and Quenville have had five, and then Cooper, of course, four, the only coach to do it with one team. Uh, well, I'm sure we'll hear more about that tomorrow going into the game. If you've been following the Jay Bomeister situation, by the way, the very scary situation that took place on the ice the other night in Anaheim as he uh, collapsed at the St. Louis bench, you know, you're getting more detailed information now. Uh, his heart did stop. So, you know, you, you, you know, you did hear cardiac situation. His heart did stop, and it was restarted with a defibrillator. And he's been in the hospital. The latest update came out today. He underwent a procedure to, and I'm not going to use the medical term, essentially it's a pacemaker. And a pacemaker put in. Nothing's being said about it. I can't imagine he'll play again. Can't imagine you can play a physical sport like hockey with a pacemaker in. But that's the latest update on J-Mo Bowmeister. But his health is obviously the most important thing here. His career is secondary at this point. He has had a fantastic career to this point for sure. Uh, Dan Rosen, uh, apparently Bill Guerin is talking... Um, said that the current crop of unemployed coaches did not factor into the decision to make the coaching change. So, interesting. Interesting that uh, they made this change now to let Boudreaux go and name Dean Evison as the interim head coach without, name, without having a coach ready to go. Uh, curious. All right, no questions today, no comments. That's, uh, that's a little low-key. But that's all right. Again, the Lightning will face the Flyers tomorrow. And the Flyers come in. They pummeled the Panthers last night, which I don't know what's going on in the Florida Panthers, specifically with Sergei Bobrovsky. They chased Bobrovsky. Well, they have three goals on nine shots in the first period last night and chase Bobrovsky out of the game. Boy, signing these big contracts with goaltenders, and I and I say that with all due respect because Andre Vasilevsky's eight-year contract kicks in next year. Younger, though. Much, much younger. But signing Bobrovsky to that seven-year, $70 million contract was supposed to be the cure for the, the Panthers' defensive woes. And he has played awful. I don't know how many times he's been pulled this year because this is a Panthers team. Last night, Philadelphia had 69 points. The Panthers had 66. The Panthers are chasing a playoff spot. And they come out and play like that at, at home. And then you look at Bobrovsky's stats. Not pretty by any stretch of the imagination. One would almost say that Chris Dreger has outplayed him this year. Yeah, Chris Dreger. 
has outplayed Bobrovsky because in 44, uh, 43 starts, Bobrovsky 2017 and five with a 332 goals against average and an 896 save percentage. Ten million dollars a year, Bobrovsky's making. But the Flyers come in looking to make their own playoff statement. They were probably a bubble team coming into the season. They're probably still a bubble team, but that was a huge win for them last night. And they're missing some players. Shane Goss' bear has been out for a while. He'll still miss tomorrow night's game. But he's also been injured. No, he's injured right now. He's been injured. <laughs> um, Nolan Patrick, yes, he, he hasn't he hasn't played all year, has he? Former number two overall pick. He's had migraine issues, um, so he hasn't played. I guess there's some encouraging news that he might start to practice with the team last week or next week. Um, Travis Sanheim though went down last night. He's questionable for tomorrow. Uh, but the Flyers, you know, trying to make their own. They now have a four-point lead over Carolina. They're tied with Columbus, just a point behind New York. Metro's pretty tight. Washington, which had stumbled, they picked up a big win, fell down 2 nothing last night. In Colorado, came back to win that game 3-2. They're at 79, Pittsburgh 74, Islanders 72, Columbus and Philadelphia 71, and then Carolina Right now below the line at 67, but they have games in hand on both the Flyers and the Blue Jackets. That's going to be an interesting race to watch, especially for whoever wins the Atlantic. As Tampa Bay again pulled back to within a point of the Bruins with the win last night. Because that that whoever wins the Atlantic most likely, most likely is Boston's at 82, Tampa Bay's at 81, and Washington's at 79. First place Atlantic team most likely gets the number two wild card, which right now would be the Flyers. So that's going to be an interesting race to watch down the stretch with that division. And again, <laughs> compare that to the Pacific, and it's just such a contrast. So, all right, that's going to wrap up today's show. It's going to wrap up the week uh, for us here on uh, Lightning Lunch. Uh, don't forget, Greg Linnelli has Lightning Power Play Live for you tonight at 6 p.m., uh, the post-game show tomorrow, by the way, in case you hadn't heard, is outside at the Cigar City Tap Room with uh, Greg and Brian Engblom. Uh, no opening face-off show tomorrow, uh, but I'll be on with Greg at uh, pre-game as well as intermission post-game. Uh, so if you have questions, send them our way. Use the hashtag AskEE. We'll answer them in the second period. I'll be back with Lightning Lunch at noon on Monday. Stacy Roost is scheduled to join us. It's uh, his timing for... Uh, his every other week visit with us. Um, so thanks, everybody, for listening. Again, 4, 4 p.m. tomorrow against Philadelphia. Thanks to Connor Zelinski for making it all sound good. Until Monday. Bye-bye, everybody.